You're listening to the Blended Family Podcast, a weekly show with a strong focus on strategies and methods to help your family thrive. Blended families face many difficulties and challenges, which can sometimes drive families apart. The goal of this podcast is to help your blended family grow together through these challenges to create the peaceful and loving home you desire. Here is your host, Melissa. Hi there, you're listening to episode number 124 of the Blended Family Podcast. If you haven't listened yet to episode 123, you might want to go and listen to that one first. This is kind of a part two. Last episode, I interviewed one of our listeners, and in this episode, I'm bringing you another interview from a listener with a similar story to share. If you are wondering why I am airing both, well, I feel like even though the stories are similar, they are still unique. But mostly, these are both stories of women who were in abusive relationships and they got out. I think that's important for people to know, for women to know, that no matter what your situation is, there is hope of a better life. All of my announcements for this week are in the previous episode, and I don't want to bore you with them all over again, so I'm going to get right to the interview with another valued member in our community, Linda Ritchie. Enjoy. Hello, I am here with another one of our own listeners, Linda Ritchie. Linda and Lisa Parr, who you remember from our last family interview, met through our Facebook group, which I think is pretty great. Anyway, they both have a similar story of abuse from their previous relationship, and they both reached out to me wanting to share their story in the hopes that it could help someone else who might be going through a similar situation. And even though they have similar stories, each of their journeys was and is unique to them. So to continue on speaking about abuse, I do have Linda joining me on the show today to share her story. Welcome to the show, Linda. Thank you for being here. Hi, thank you for having me. Of course. So let's start with you. We talked before this, and so I know your story, but I'd love for you to tell everyone first a little bit about your last marriage and tell us when the abuse started. Well, I think that um, there were red flags the entire time um, that we were together, but the um, really it was about a year prior to my leaving in 2011. I mean, we were married almost 20 years. And there were traits that he had um, that were not healthy that became incredibly intense. Um, So every negative thing that we had experienced throughout our marriage became tenfold. For instance, um, the most obvious one was the anger and the verbal abuse. I had really become um, a master of de-escalating him. Mm. in our marriage, which, number one, if you're saying that, there is a big problem. But it is what I was. Um, So if I could keep the peace, if I could keep him kind of calm, we were pretty good. And I I knew how to do that. But um, there came a time where he just was impossible to to de-escalate. He was overspending in very large amounts of money, um, and he was very, became very controlling, um, very mis- distrusting where I was and what I was doing, and acting like he didn't believe that I was actually at work, as if I had really anything other than work and family to do, because I didn't, and I had very little social life. But um, you know, calling work, checking on me, um, it became. Uh, 
very obvious um, a year prior to my leaving that things were just out of control because my no- normal things of dealing with with it just didn't work anymore. And when I asked him to get help, he um, he escalated and became worse. And that was definitely a change. In the past, in the 20 years of marriage, whenever he would um, have periods of time where he just was constantly angry and it became just the normal every day, you know, I would ask him to get some help and he really did. He would try to reach out to somebody, you know, a friend or go see a counselor for a while. And it kind of put a Band-Aid on the problem Mm. for a time, but this time was different. And I, I still really don't know why, but this time was different. And so when I asked him to get help, um, things got dramatically worse for me. Okay. And so I, I know we talked before. So one of the things that I want to discuss, and it's definitely a touchy subject, is how religion played a role in your situation. And I really rarely discuss religion on the show because it's so personal and I never like to judge anyone for who or what they believe in. So without you saying, Linda, which religion or denomination you belong to, why don't you just tell us how that affected you and your marriage? Because I think it's very common, but I know that it's rarely spoken about openly. Yeah, I think this is one of the hardest things <clears throat> is that we were um, very involved with our faith um, in our church. We were big time servers. Um, we were what I call a Sunday morning smile. You know, we would come in with all our children and we would look a certain way, but nobody really saw what was happening before we walked in those doors and what was happening after. Right. Um, you know, I remember one such time going into church um, and Prior to my going into church, I was on the phone with a crisis hotline asking them um, if they would respond to my home if I called them if I was afraid, because I, I had become very afraid of, of becoming hurt um, with the rage and the anger that was being directed towards me. And then I walked into church, you know, and I did my thing. And um, and so the reason I, I this was a problem is that um, some of that was used very much against me as part of abuse, um, whether it was shaming me, putting me down, you know, that I wasn't um, who I was as a wife, as a, as a role model, like as, as a mother. Um, those things were very much what um, the Bible said or what, you know, our moral faith was telling us was very much used to condemn me within that abusive kind of talk you know, there were many ways that were used, um, words that were used to put me down, but those were additional ways. And so um, when I did finally leave, um, it, it continued to be a problem because um, there was a lot of shame and stigma to divorce, to leaving. Um, and unfortunately, uh, nobody, uh, well, very few people within um, our community, faith community, uh, believed that um, I had a good reason to leave, and they didn't believe that um, you know the person I was married to could be abusive in any way. And so he really had a lot of support from them. And um, to this day, when he uh, 
speaks to me and he uses words to put me down, um, those words will filter in, you know, a lot of kind of moral judgment that I have committed this sin of divorce and, um, and things like that. Like he'll refer to me as, um, you know, thief, adulterer, because in his moral view, I should never, um, move on to any new relationship, um, because I, I have abandoned him. And so that's, become just a piece of the uh, of the abusive language that he uses. And I'm glad that you're bringing it up because um, I do think other people experience this. And I also want to point out that despite that, um, my faith really was the thing that gave me the strength to leave, you know, when I realized that this isn't really how I should be treated. Um, and some, there were a few good and what I refer to as godly people who really encouraged me and helped me. Um, so, you know, I didn't let any of these experiences ruin, number one, my faith in, in a God and also in uh, marriage. So, um, but it is another way to feel isolated and controlled by somebody who's abusive. And that definitely was my experience. And it was very hard for people to believe that this is what was happening in my home when they saw us acting like an intact family. Yeah, and and thank you for clarifying that. And I'm definitely not putting down any religions or anything like that. I just know that there's, you know, there's good and bad in everything and it does happen. And by the way, I want to apologize to everybody. I it is 7, it is after 7 o'clock here right now and I you can can you hear the lawn people here? I have no idea what they're doing here at 7 o'clock on a Friday evening is when we're recording this. It's unbelievable, and there's nothing I can do about that right now. So I hope that it's not too distracting for you or for anybody listening. Um, I think they might have they might be leaving. Um, all right, so so let's move on. Let's talk about the split. So many people struggle to end things, especially in an abusive relationship. And I know you said you were talking about your situation and you said, well, this time was different. So what was your final straw? Or was it a series of events that prompted you after 20 years to finally break away and say, this is it. I I just can't do this anymore. Yeah, I think there were a number of moments that I would refer to as aha kind of moments. The light bulbs went off that something is very wrong. Um, <clears throat> for instance, um, I'm a, an ER nurse, and so we have to do abuse training every year um, to identify uh, abuse in other people. And, you know, domestic abuse and those kind of issues come up at my job all the time. I give out those resource numbers to people that I ended up calling my own self. Um But one day I was sitting in triage going through my slideshow about abuse, and I remember a picture of somebody, a man kind of yelling at a woman, and she had her head down, and it it was slides about verbal abuse. And I just started crying, sitting there in triage, because I thought, oh my gosh, that's me. And, um, And a few other things, like when I was at work, when somebody was acting out, becoming inappropriate, violent, angry. My coworkers, they would step in, you know, nobody would tolerate that behavior. Um, security was there, you know, I can call them and security would come, you know, get in front of me and escort those people away. You know, they were modeling 
that I was not to be treated that way, which is correct. Of course, I'm not supposed to be treated that way. But it became so obvious that at home, I was being treated that way. And I used to think all the time, I just wish I could call for help, just like I can at work. And yet I'm sitting in my kitchen. And so it started to become so obvious to me that there's a big difference here of how I'm treated in other places versus how I'm being treated at home. Um, and I think those are the moments where I started saying that I, I need to do something. Um, people at work started noticing that I was not doing well. Um, they, you know, a couple people pulled me aside and asked me, what's wrong? You're greatly distressed. And when I started confessing some of the things I was experiencing, um, they became very alarmed. And seeing their reaction of concern and alarm, um, you know, was good for me. I needed to see that that would concern and alarm somebody because to me that was my normal, but it isn't normal. Right. You almost yeah. get complacent. You get used to living that way for a while and, and almost normalizing it. And uh, so that was really good that, that their reaction kind of told you some of that. That Absolutely. wasn't normal. Yeah. And you're being told that you're crazy for thinking that it's not normal. You know, that that it's you, that you're the cause of it, and that you're believing, saying that this is not okay is actually crazy. And you start to believe it, you know, that maybe I am crazy, maybe this is okay, maybe I am sensitive and overreacting. <clears throat> but the final straw is um, things were not well in my home. My children were not thriving. They were actually doing poorly. And I started to see that our nurturing home was certainly not nurturing for my kids. And I think with parents, I think with moms, especially when we see our kids are suffering, it's a whole different level than when we're suffering. And so um, it caused me to go uh, get counseling. I told my best friend, I said, just hold me accountable that I will see a counselor. Ask me in a couple weeks, because I was afraid I would lose my, my nerve to do it. And I did it because I knew she'd ask me. And when I went into the counselor's office and I just tried to tell her as objectively as I could without putting any emotion into the situations that I was enduring at home, she was like, you need to leave and you need to leave now. You're going to get hurt. And if it's not you, your kids are going to get hurt. And it took me eight months to um, to finally leave. So... So let's talk about the kids a little bit. Uh, tell us their ages at the time. How did you tell them? And how did they take it initially? So at the time, they were 4, 8, 13, and 17. Um, although the 17-year-old was, um, he was in junior in high school. And um, this is really hard because I, uh, things were so um escalating at home. And um, I did not feel safe uh, telling him, my husband at the time, that I was leaving. And I, um, I had wanted to, but I knew that that would be very dangerous for me. And I also knew that um, the climate for the kids was getting very rough because not only were they not doing well, but I could already see that he was, well, he was very obviously um, using them against me. In other words, like he, when he was yelling at me, then he would gather the kids around, he would call them and he would tell them things that I was doing in his view to upset him. And oh, that yeah. is, that is 
oh, that's horrible. Right. right. So, so you can see what co-parenting is like. Mm-hmm. But, um, but in the home, it was already happening. So I knew that they would just be pulled into such a big mess, and I knew it was very dangerous for me. Um, so I had to plan leaving um, when he went to work. You know, he went to work. I had it planned. The kids, I had them all elsewhere. Like I had them at friends' houses and things. So so they were not with me. And um, I was able to take some things and leave. And I, I didn't take very much from the home um, because I didn't have a lot of time. I knew exactly what I wanted to take. And also, um, I was... I was told not to do that because um, if I had any custody issues, it would make me look very vindictive if I took a lot of things from the house, and it would look bad for me. So um, so I didn't. I, I just took what I felt I needed, but um, I was so worried about everything I left behind and about him having everything he needed. I, I remember even making sure coffee grounds and stuff to make the morning coffee were there for when I, the day after I left. I was so careful. You know, I left a whole budget on the table for the next two months so he would know how to pay every payday because I was the one who paid the bills. Right. It was crazy. But anyway, when we left, I left and um, I went and picked up the kids. And, of course, they had no idea, you know, what was happening. And so um, I took them to a parking lot and I told them that I left their dad and I said, um, you know, I said, no, I'm taking you to a new place. This is where, you know, I we are going to live, and you will see your dad. Um, but I'm leaving. And, and I said, and I want you to know above everything else that nothing that happens here will inter- will stop God's plan for your life. And because I was so worried, you know, I was just so worried that of how this was going to affect them even in the future. And I just wanted to start on that note. You know, whatever brokenness we're going to experience here, you are going to be okay, you know, and and somehow God's going to use this for the best in your life. And um, so we went there and, you know, the kids were just a mixture of a lot of emotions and probably a lot like me, you know, sad, worried, happy, angry, all of it at once. They were excited about the house. Um, They were upset. I mean, actually, when I told them what was happening, my one son actually did throw up. You know, he was he was so upset. But um we had like a lot of emotions and every kid was in a different place. And sometimes if the little ones looked happy, it upset the older one because he was not happy and it was hard for him to see the little ones happy. And so we were, we were a big, you know, mess, emotional mess. And, um, so we went to counseling and things and it takes a while for things to feel normal, but eventually it did. Well, I'm really glad that you did it in the way that you did, and I would encourage anybody that feels afraid of a reaction to do it the way that you did, you know, to get the kids out of the house, get you out of the house, because that is not a good situation to be in. And obviously, you couldn't tell the kids until it was actually done, because you wouldn't know if they were going to say anything. So I'm really glad that you did it that way. Um, I want to touch on your ex's personality type. Uh, We're talking about abuse, which often comes with some form of mental illness, be it depression, narcissism, bipolar, and many others. 
tell us exactly what issues your ex was. I know you said anger, but what other issues was he struggling with? And you did say that he did seek help. So um, obviously it didn't help. But what, what was going on with him? Well, I mean, I think when I met him, you know, I saw a lot of red flags, but I was very young. I mean, I married him when I was 18 and um, and we didn't have kids till later. But um, and I was very invested in the idea of marriage and the commitment it takes. Um, but uh, he was raised by um, a, an abusive dad. He was physically abused. Um, his mom was also physically abused. And so, um, and he felt very rejected by his dad. Um, he definitely had a violent kind of um, young adult uh, teenage years. And um, so uh, I think whenever I read about um, abusive or angry men, um, that's kind of the, the recipe for it, like the dad rejection and then the modeling of abuse in the home. And he certainly fit that. Um, he never did get a diagnosis. Um, he would go for counseling for period, small periods of time um, when I would ask him. It was always then. but um, And it would make it calmer for a while, but I knew he just really never got to the source or got to the bottom of it, or maybe he just needed to go so long term and be more invested into it. But um, he definitely had a rage issue, and um, my uh, he has he he has what I would call narcissist kind of qualities. Um, I have a, my best friend is a family counselor, and she had um, she asked me to read some books that had to do with that. But um, I wouldn't say he's diagnosed with that because he never was. But he has like a lot of those kind of qualities in that um, everything really was about him. He was very angry. And um, for, this is a classic example. If I would say to him, you are scaring me right now. Okay. His response to me would be, to say, it's all about you. You're always the victim. You always say that. And he would turn it around to be another, like, it's my assault on him to say those things. So everything was like that. It, you know, everything I did was kind of turned around in that kind of a way. Um, so he's very, um, it, it's really all about him, even though he would say it was about me. But, but the other thing is, is that reputation is very important. Um, the way, um, you know, he looks to others, those things are very important. And I think, um, that some of the, the problems that I have with him since I've left are that my leaving, um, had, you know, an impact on how people could look at him. And so, um, his, you know, how people look at him um, was very important. And um, so, and that's kind of that, nar it has to do with some of that narcissist kind of quality. There's a lot of anger. There's a lot of rage in there. There's a lot of, um, it's all about me and it's about how I appear to other people. Um, and so my leaving certainly, um, you know, had a, had a negative impact and, and upset him in that in that kind of a way, if that makes sense. It makes a lot of sense, and it definitely sounds narcissistic qualities to me, absolutely. And sadly, you know, with people, it doesn't matter if somebody goes to get the help and get the therapy. Um, if they don't really truly want the help, you know, you were asking him to get the help. And so truly, he didn't really want it. And until somebody actually 
wants to seek help and wants to change, there's unfortunately not much that we can do for those people. And so I know that you tried and it is not your fault. It obviously he has to be ready. And I know that he still um, isn't really better. So, so let's fast forward. Here we are today. I know that you're still having to deal with your ex and I know that it's not easy for you. So tell us how these issues with your ex still affect you and your children today. What's going on today with him? Well, um, I have the kids um, primarily all of the time. He he gets them. Currently, he has them every other weekend. And um, so, yeah, but even when I he saw them less, um, you know, I, I still had to co-parent with him. Um, I think the hard thing is that his, um, his verbal abuse and the way he spoke to me uh, before just continues on to today. And it's interesting because um, it's so uh, offending to me <laughs> to read the way he will speak to me um, with, you know, the put downs or the name calling, that kind of stuff. But I remind myself that this has gone on for so long that I should not be necessarily surprised by it. I have to obviously put boundaries to not allow that kind of um, speaking to me. But so the the conversations between us over the most simplest of things, dropping off kids, picking them up, a school performance that's happening, um, they're never, uh, I should say not, I shouldn't say never, they're rarely without some sort of, um, you know, put downs or negative kind of very personal things that are said to me. And so that is so challenging because I just want to get to the nuts and bolts of, you know, the kids, like just where are they and and the nuts and bolts of co-parenting children. I don't even, um, you know, necessarily need to talk about their character and some of the bigger issues, which uh, right now is not something we can at all discuss. I just want to get to the nitty gritties. And um, it's very hard to do without the verbal abuse and the personal things that are, um, you know, involved in the communication. So my life with him is one of boundaries, constant. Um, Sometimes I don't get to the important information that I need to get to because I have to give a warning and then say, well, I can't speak to you right now. Let's try again tomorrow. And so I'm constantly doing that. I have to pick my battles. Um, If I really need to know, like, what time I'm getting a kid today, I might have to, you know, ignore something just to get the answer. Um, So that happens a lot. Um, There's the kids, I feel like they're always in the middle, and I try to avoid that as much as possible, but it is really hard because... um, they're constantly put being put in the middle. Um, sometimes he just won't speak to me, which in a way is nice because it's quiet and I don't mind that as much. But sometimes it's bad when I need to know, like, uh, are you going to baseball practice? Are you going to take, you know, your my little one to baseball? Mm-hmm. Well, I need an answer. But I could get ignored. And so then um, maybe communication will come through a kid. You know, and um, and that could be okay. But um, the thing with the kids is that sometimes um, things you know that are inappropriate are shared between them. Like um, I don't know things about money or things like right, that. You right. know, and so then they're kind of caught in the middle, and and that's that's not good. Um, I do feel like there's 
a lot of parent alienation that happens. And, um, you know, uh, I am put down. I feel a lot, um, when I'm not around with the kids because they, they'll share things with me that, um, you know, were sad or whatever about me that are, that are negative. And so that's really hard. So I really try my best to not share any of those things with them and not react when they tell me things. Um, because my biggest thing with them is that I really don't want my kids to have a hole in their heart because they didn't feel loved by their dad. Um, and I figure they'll see the th- negative things about him. But I also have to model, you know, that I deserve to be treated with respect, too, as a woman and as their mom. And so I'm always kind of like trying to put those things together. Um, and I think it's it's just a huge, huge challenge. And the boundaries I have to put up are about things that really should be very common sense. Um, um, like I put out to the Facebook group about um, the issue with, you know, I would go to work and their dad would come in the house and hang out at my house. Clearly, this is not a person that should be in my home. And um, and there's an example of the kids being put in the middle because they, of course, they're going to let their dad in, you know, but, um, you know, I have to tell them that that's not that they should not let their dad in the house and yet their dad really should know that you know but but that's that's the kind of boundaries I'm constantly fighting boundaries about how he treats me or how he speaks to me and um and that's hard and sometimes when things are escalating for him and he's getting harder to deal with you know I will you know we'll I'll take the kids in public, you know, we'll switch them in public. Um, I've gotten on the phone with people as I'm approaching him, hoping that he will um, not cause a scene um, because he does care what people think of him. Mm -hmm. So that's another tactic I will use as well. Well, that that's good. And you spoke about parental alienation. And actually, I have two shows that you know, I don't know when I'm airing them, probably right around the time that we do yours, but two shows on parental alienation. And so you definitely want to listen to those because that unfortunately is going on with so many couples right now that are divorced and it's really, really sad. Uh, so, you know, you'll want to look into that because that might help you. And I tell you, Linda, you, you've definitely been through an ordeal and I know it's not over for you. But you have moved on, and I know that life is better for you these days. So why don't you tell us about that? I think people need to know that after dark, there is always light, and we always grow during our darkest times. So what have you learned from this experience? Oh, what have I learned? I've learned so much. But in a nutshell, number one, I think I am still learning um, to trust my gut. Um, I spent a lot of years suppressing that um, and thinking that things were okay when my gut said they were not. And um, and I modeled that for my kids too. So now um, I'm learning to trust my gut again. And, um, and so that's just an ongoing journey. I think I'm learning to stand up for myself um, with mostly with my ex, but I mean, even just in other areas of life or just modeling for the kids that, um, 
kind of respectful kind of way that you need to be um, with your mom and with women. Um, my faith has grown tremendously through this experience, and um, I actually would never trade that for sure. Um, and I've especially learned uh, not to judge people. Um, because I have felt very judged. And I've learned that until you've walked in someone's shoes, you just don't know what they've been through. And hopefully I'm modeling that for my kids as well. Um, I'm definitely learning what it is to be the breadwinner of a family still. (laughs) And I wasn't the main breadwinner before I left. And so that's been a new role. Um, There's some great things about it. I love my work. Um, but, you know, it's hard being the one who's financially responsible for your family. It's 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 not the easiest. But um, I have found some things about my work that I love. And um, some of them have been involved with advocacy for women. Um, and as a nurse, um, I have been involved in some stuff with human trafficking in our area and um, for also victims of sexual assault. And, um, and I tell you, when I talk to women who have experienced domestic uh, abuse or violence, um, I can talk to them very personally. And, um, and I think that that's, you know, that's been healing for me. Good. And it definitely sounds like you gained a lot of strength from going through all this. Tell us about your new relationship. How's that going? And how is your new partner coping with the ex? The love of my life, yes. Oh, good. Um, So John and I have been together since 2015. Um, So he has two kids, um, half time, and then I have the four. And my oldest, my 21-year-old, still uh, lives with me. He he was living with his dad for a while, but now he lives with me. And um, we are kind of uh, in the early stages of blending. Um, The reason that I got involved with this podcast is that as we were becoming serious and realizing that we were going to have a blended family, I realized that I really know nothing about blended families, and neither does John. So I started listening to be kind of equipped for what's what to deal with, and um, and it's been such a good place for us to um, to have good and meaningful conversations um, because you bring up so many things that I might not have even thought of. And so um, that has been so excellent for us to to work out and to figure things out for, for our family. Um, he is incredibly supportive, um, clearly, of, of me and um, you know, I will, uh, he's great. Like, I'll read my responses to him, to my ex, um, and say, what do you think? This is, what do you think? And so we're always um, there for each other that way. Um, he is incredibly patient. Um, and it, he definitely struggles. I think you talked about this early on in one of the podcasts about um, in Blood and Families, the, the, the stepfather who um, feels um, very protective of their of their spouse and he definitely um has that where he's kind of walking the balance of he he feels very protected of me um so it's hard for him um to you know see what i'm going through with attempting to co-parent um in my situation but he is um he's really supportive and um he models i think for my kids the way um the way it should be, 
you know, the way he treats me is the way I would want them to be treated or them to treat their spouse. And so that, um, that is incredibly meaningful to me. And, uh, and he's not, um, you know, he's not intimidated by our, our situation. So that's good. And honestly, that was a concern for me. I thought, I read a book once that said, um, when you're looking for a new mate, it said, if you see that their ex is incredibly difficult or conflict oriented, it said, do not date that person. And oh my I thought, gosh, that would yeah, be like it, everybody almost. Right. I mean, there's a, such a high percentage that people have difficult exes. And if that was the case, nobody would be dating right now. <laughs> <laughs> I know. I know. And I thought, oh, no, I'm never going to find anybody. And I mean, certainly that's not true. Um, but but he uh, you know, certainly has never been intimidated by our situation and how complex it is. Obviously, he has an ex as well. Um, not quite the situation I have, but um, but it's been really good. And so every kid is in a different place with the blending of our family, um, but we're making it work. And we really strongly believe that we are a nurturing place for the kids and a place where they can see, you know, right relationships modeled. And that's important. I think that's the most important out of everything that you said. That's the most beautiful thing that your children finally see mom getting treated the way she should be treated and also understanding the difference of what what it looks like, what a good relationship versus a bad relationship modeled for them so that they know when they get into their own relationships, they can make those decisions that now at least they got to see that. And of course, they get to see mom happy, which you know, you deserve and they deserve. So that is wonderful. And I'm so glad that you shared all that. I'm really happy for you, Linda. And I know that you're here today to help others. So before we wrap up, this is your chance to offer advice or encouragement to others listening who are finding themselves in an abusive relationship. What do you want to say to them today? Okay. Um, I'm so glad that you asked me this um, because this is really important. These are things I wish um, I could have said to myself you know, in the midst of what I was going through. But number one, you are not crazy to, if you are having feelings of fear, um, then you need to trust your gut and they are real. Normal people don't walk around feeling afraid. I certainly don't right now, but back then I did. And I had real reason for it. And it was very confusing for me. So trust your gut, know that you're not crazy Know that you're a person that deserves great respect. Everybody deserves respect. And when you're treated different in your home than you are treated in other parts of your life, then that's a red flag. And I think, um, you know, you if you're feeling afraid, uh, there is no amount of conflict that can happen with another person in which they should make you feel afraid. You know, normal people don't work out conflicts like that with fear and with control and put down. Um, that is not a healthy or normal way to, to work out a conflict. So even if you're having a conflict um, where you could be said to be put to blame or something, um, there's no reason why that person should respond with a way to make you feel fear. Um, in the midst of that, uh, it is a very dark and scary place. When you're afraid and you don't know what's going to happen from moment to moment, um, But I do want you to know that when you get away from that, it is hard and it requires 
some definite bravery and grit. But um, there is a lot of peace and freedom. I can't tell you how good it felt. And sometimes it still hits me how good it feels to be in my home and have peace and not worry about what's going to come through the door and not worry that I'm going to have to try to calm things down. I don't have to do that. And it's a, it's a priceless feeling. You freedom. Know? It's freedom. It's it is yeah. absolute freedom. And, and until you've lived a life where you didn't have that, when you do have that freedom and that peace again, it's amazing. And it is worth the hard things you have to go through to make that happen. Um, and I think looking at your kids thinking about what is being modeled for them. You know, I modeled a lot of codependent kind of behavior and I modeled being okay with things that were not okay. And, um, and now I'm not doing that anymore, you know? And so you want to model the right things for the kids so that they know how to treat others as well and that they see that how you should be treated. And I think the biggest thing later on down the line is just forgiving yourself I think that was really hard for me just to forgive myself for being in that situation, for allowing it to go on and for um, having this happen around my kids. Um, I waited and waited and waited and hoped it was going to get better. And I can look back on a long time and see that I allowed things that were not okay. Um, But, you know, that's in the past. And I think forgiving yourself is really an important piece. You know, I think we need to just start with today and move forward in a positive way. And don't ever give up hope. That is one one of the biggest things. Because um, the situations can feel very hopeless. And you can even be told that it is hopeless. But don't ever believe that. Well, that is wonderful, wonderful advice, um, all of it. Now, when Lisa was on, she did share some books that she had found helpful during her journey. Do you have any resources to share with our audience, any books or anything? The book that I'm reading right now is really excellent, The Co-Parenting with a Toxic Ex. Um, Boy, I feel like they've they've seen, um, my life in a lot of ways. I thought, I think that's really good. And I actually started using some of their advice and I felt like it really, um, connected with my daughter. Um, another one, stop walking on eggshells, uh, definitely describes what my life was like. And boundaries is an excellent book by, um, Cloud and Townsend. Um, I live that life of just constant setting boundaries. And if um, when I was in my situation, I started to read the boundaries book and it kind of created increased conflicts for me. So I had to keep it hidden. Mm. And um, so if that is somebody's situation, I would encourage them to, you know, put the Kindle app on their phone and put it, you know, hide, hide the app somewhere in your phone and put the book on there so that you can read it um, and then have it have it not be found as easily. That's a great idea. And uh, you'll be happy to know that I just interviewed Amy Baker, the one of the co-authors of Co-Parenting with a Toxic Ex. So you definitely want to listen to that episode. Uh, we, we had a nice little chat. So uh, that is a very good book. And I'll probably be giving away a copy of that book during that interview as well. 
Linda, your honesty about such a personal situation is truly inspiring. I really want to thank you so much for coming on today. Thank you so much. And I am so glad that you are talking about these really hard things. Of course. And listeners, if you want to connect with Linda, you can find her in our private Facebook group, which is at blendedfamilypodcast.com forward slash group. It is free to join. So come on in and connect with her. Linda and Lisa came here to share their stories in the hopes that they can help others. And they are very open to you reaching out to either of them. And if anyone else wants to be featured on the show to share a personal story about your blended family that you think can help others, please reach out to me. We've covered abuse here already, but there are so many other situations that you may have been through that can help. It's always good for everyone to know not only that you're not alone, but also to learn how others got through tough times. So if you're interested, write to me. And that email address is melissa at blendedfamilypodcast.com. As always, thank you so much for listening. Bye. You have been listening to the Blended Family Podcast. For more information, please visit the website at blendedfamilypodcast.com. Remember, to create the peaceful home you desire, all you need is love.